Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Is it weird that I wanted to kick off this episode by singing... Hello, my friends. Hello. I'm turning into my mother. That is really scary. Anyway, oh boy, I am Elizabeth Benton. And if this is your first time listening to the Primal Potential Podcast, I promise you that I don't sing on every episode. In fact, that might be the first time. Anyway, we are diving into, honestly, what might be my favorite episode. Seriously, and that's, you know, where this is 240 and I numbered them wrong. So we're really, it's really about 25 or 30 more than that because I used to not number the Q&A episodes. So the fact that I think this might be my favorite is saying a lot. Here's the deal. Way back in episode 137, crazy, over 100 episodes uh, ago, I did my first book club episode where I featured the book Always Hungry by Dr. David Ludwig. And I did that to give you the highlights of what I thought was a really great book. I love to read and I read a lot, but not everything I read is awesome. Not everything I read is even good. But because I feel so close to you guys, and obviously I do because I just sang to you to open the show. But anyway, um, when I read something that I think is really great and powerful, I want to share it with you, right? I know that not all of you will have the time or the desire to read the book all the way through, so I figure I can take 30 minutes or so and share with you what I felt were the most helpful, interesting, or impactful things within the book. I've done a few more book club episodes since then. Some of them weren't even related to fat loss, but I thought there were a lot of crossovers that I wanted to share. Today, we're diving into a fat loss book. The book, Why We Get Fat by Gary Taubes. And there is some overlap here between this book and the book Always Hungry by Dr. Ludwig, but Gary takes a different approach. He goes deep into the history and the science. And if that doesn't sound like fun for you, don't worry. I'm going to keep it really simple and fun and give you my primary takeaways. The premise of the book is the notion that we are overweight Not because we're lazy and we eat too much, but that we are lazy and we eat too much because of what is happening inside our body to make us fat. That overeating and not exercising enough are not actually the cause of the problem, but are a result of a different problem. And Gary, in his book, Why We Get Fat, does an exceptional job using human research and the basics of physiology to prove his point and prove wrong the calories in, calories out model of fat loss. I'm going to link to the book over in the show notes at primalpotential.com for those of you who are interested. But listen to this episode all the way through before you make your decision. Like I said, this might be one of my favorite episodes. And a lot of that is because I love the science stuff. 
But I think you'll see why this is such a cool episode as we get a little deeper into it. So hang with me. He starts by making the case that most fat loss professionals, whether it's doctors or scientists and researchers or so-called fat loss gurus out there, the dieting mainstream people, they're trapped by the paradigm of eating less and moving more. And they are so sure of it that they are not able or willing to see the obvious flaws in the argument. Kind of like people who believed that the world was flat. They didn't have any evidence that that was so. They just had been told it over and over and over and over and over again that they believed it and wouldn't consider alternatives. That's being trapped in a paradigm. And not only are many professionals trapped in this paradigm, guys, most of you are trapped in this paradigm, okay? This book is all about what makes us fat? What drives people to overeat? It's not that food is so amazing and we just really are okay being fat. It's not that at all. The kind of overarching sentiment about people who are overweight or obese is that they're not motivated and they just want to eat too much and they don't move enough. And so that's why they get fat. That's why they get fat. That's why they get heavy. But let's look at this from a different perspective. Let's look at other forms of growth because gaining weight is a form of growth, right? Let's look at other times when we grow. Anything that makes people grow also makes them eat more. When adolescents are in puberty, they are not growing because they are eating more. They are eating more because they are growing. There is a hormonal environment which triggers growth. And that hormonal environment that triggers growth increases appetite and decreases satiety or feelings of fullness. This book, Why We Get Fat, proves that the same is true for weight gain in most cases. There is this hormonal environment triggering growth that also triggers increased hunger, increased cravings, decreased satiety, and decreased activity. The science here gets me so excited. I think you can tell how excited I am. And I really believe it's going to be an eye opener for many of you. He knows, Gary acknowledges in his book that obesity is a disorder of excess fat accumulation. He's not questioning that at all, but he's saying what drives that? It's not that people are just unmotivated and overeat. What drives it? And so when we look at the question... What are the factors that regulate the accumulation of fat? The answer is hormones and enzymes. So that's where we have to look here. Not motivation and activity level because that's not what drives it, okay? And you might be thinking, um, Elizabeth, people do overeat and they are sedentary. But that's like looking at a teenager in puberty and saying, yeah, look at him eat. He's getting taller because he's eating so much. No, no. He's eating so much because he is getting taller, because he is growing, because of the hormonal environment in his body. Now, as I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but, as I was trying to kind of like justify this in my head, because I agree, but by nature, I am a question asker. And I was thinking, all right, so... If we are such brilliant machines, our bodies are such brilliant machines, 
then why is hunger not turning off when it should? Or why is satiety not kicking in when it should? Think about it. Our bodies are so brilliant. They carefully regulate everything. Seriously, let's, let's really look at this. Our bodies closely monitor and manage our body temperature. When we get too hot, it has built-in mechanisms to cool us down, like sweating. Or when we get too cold, it has built-in mechanisms to warm us up, like shivering. Why would the body just say, oh, well, turn into a 350-pound Godzilla monster? Like, no, 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 no. The body closely monitors heart rate. And when heart rate gets too high or too low, there are built-in mechanisms to slow it down or speed it up, like vasoconstriction or vasodilation. The body closely monitors the level of gases in our blood, like carbon dioxide. And we don't have to consciously think, oh, well, gee, my carbon dioxide levels are too high, so I better change the way I'm breathing. No, no, no. That happens automatically. We don't have to think about breathing more quickly or more slowly or more shallowly or more deeply. Your body regulates that on its own. And the body is built the same way with regards to our fat mass. Our body has built-in mechanisms in place to monitor how much stored fat we have and to increase fat utilization and increase metabolic rate when fat stores become too high and decrease metabolic rate and decrease fat utilization when body fat stores are too low. Our body has built-in mechanisms to store more fat when fat stores are low and store, um, store, more, or store less fat when fat stores are high. And the same thing is true with appetite. Our body has very tight controls on appetite and satiety. So the premise is something broke. <laughs> it's not just that we're lazy and gluttonous. Something broke and we have to look at what broke so that we can make the right steps in going to fix it. This book, Why We Get Fat, is about two primary points from my perspective. Number one, we aren't fat because we're lazy gluttons, but rather we are likely to overeat and be inactive as a result of something else in the body, specific to hormones and enzymes, that is a condition making us fat, that drives up our appetite and drives down our satiety. And then the second point that is um, really researched well and, and really put to rest is that eating less and moving more is not the way to fix this problem, but is actually part of the problem in general. Some of the stories in the book are, and the analogies really, they're not really stories, but the analogies in the book are really great. He says at one point, like if somebody tells you if more people enter a room than leave the room, then the room gets more crowded, you'd be like, yeah, okay, that's obvious, but it doesn't have anything to do with causality, why people are coming in and not leaving, why the room is crowded, right? Like we have to look at what causes these factors. Yes, when more fuel enters the body than leaves, there's more fuel stored in the body. Great, thanks. But when our body has these tight controls on things, why isn't more being burned when there's an excess, right? Why isn't appetite decreasing when there is an excess of fuel? What went wrong, right? Why is hunger returning so quickly when that is so carefully regulated by the body? Another profound point that's made in the book 
Imagine you were invited to a dinner party with a super famous chef and you were told you better bring your appetite because there's going to be 10 courses of amazing food and you want to go in there making sure that you can eat voraciously, right? Everything that's available. How would you do that? What would you do to make sure that you were ravenous and ready to house some food later that night? Well, you'd probably eat less all day and then you'd probably get in a workout, right? So the same advice we use to set yourself up to be ravenously hungry so you can overeat is the advice we give people so that they'll eat less or so that they'll lose weight. There's something flawed in that logic, something really major. The oversimplified and incorrect advice to simply take in less food so we'll get smaller and avoid taking in too much so we don't get bigger overlooks why are we eating so much why is our body not efficiently burning the excess as it is built to do right i want to get to the science of what is really driving people to overeat to be hungry so often to have so many cravings and not feel full when they quote unquote should but before that i want to address some of the flaws with the calories in calories out model we think about this, calories in, calories out, as if these are two totally independent variables, as if we can just eat less and burn more, and those two things won't impact each other. Said differently, we tend to believe that if we eat less, that decision to eat less, taking in less fuel, won't impact how much we burn. Or if we burn more, that won't impact how much we eat. And that's just not true. When you change one variable, the other adjusts to compensate. When you eat less, your body compensates the flip side, slowing down your metabolic rate, slowing down your burn rate. And when you burn more, your body upregulates your appetite to compensate. So there's a real flaw in the logic of just like, hey, Sally, how about you just eat a little less and move a little bit more? right? That right there is why so many people feel frustrated on diets and quit after a few days or weeks of solid effort. You're fighting against your body. You're working against yourself. The research is super clear that when you calorie restrict, decrease your inputs, your body decreases its energy usage, decreases its metabolic rate, that decreases your energy, decreases your rate of fat burning, there are a couple of studies he references, and I really want to hit the highlights with this. I'm going to keep it simple and straightforward, but it's very important, so hang with me. Little caveat here. If you are listening to this and you are postmenopausal or you have had your ovaries surgically removed, hang with me till the end because I'm saying this because I know you might listen and halfway through go, I'm screwed. No, you're not. Hang with me till the end, okay? So there was this study done on rats, and yes, I acknowledge we are not rats and we cannot perfectly apply rat science to human science, but hang with me. There's a reason I'm sharing this. So there's two groups of rats. Both groups of rats had their ovaries surgically removed. So they were all lady rats. One group of rats, after their surgery, they were put on a diet and they had to eat exactly what they were eating before their surgery. They weren't just free to eat whatever they wanted whenever they wanted. They were on a calorie-controlled diet that matched their pre-surgery diet. The other group of rats, after this surgery to have their ovaries removed, they were not put on a calorie-controlled diet. They could eat whatever. Well, after the surgery, the group that could eat whatever, 
they showed a massive increase in appetite. They ate like crazy and they quickly became obese rats. Obese rats without their ovaries. But you know what? Listen up. This is important. If you're paying attention to Facebook, pay attention to me. This is important. So the group that had their ovaries removed and then could eat whatever they want, they became voracious eaters and quickly became obese. But the group that was on a calorie-restricted diet that exactly matched their pre-surgical diet, they became obese and just as quickly. The only difference is that this group that was on the calorie-restricted diet, though they became just as obese just as quickly, they basically stopped moving. The only time they moved was to get food. They became completely sedentary. So they didn't have access to more fuel, but to compensate, they dramatically decreased their output. So why? Why did this happen? And how can I resurrect any hope for those of you who are either postmenopausal or you've had your ovaries surgically removed? This is going to get good. This is where the science comes in. This is the essence of why we get fat, and it's based on hormones and enzymes. Hormones and enzymes get messed up. They start working to make us fat, and as they do that, this triggers an increase in appetite, a decrease in satiety or feelings of fullness, decreased energy, and decreased activity levels. Now, insulin is a huge part of this equation, and I talk about insulin all the time, but let's stay here with this ovary story, this little ovary mystery for a few minutes. Let me make one more point about this study. When these rats, these female rats with their ovaries removed, were supplemented with estrogen, they did not become inactive. They did not overeat and they did not become obese. But estrogen is not the issue here. It's a player in the game, but it's not the star player. And that's why those of you who might be freaking out about menopause or not having ovaries, it's okay. It's okay. Enzymes. Let's look at this. Lipoprotein lipase. Big word. Don't worry about it. We're going to call it LPL. LPL is one of the major players in the game of why we get fat. LPL is an enzyme. Enzyme catalyze reactions. They make things happen in the body. LPL sits on the surface of cells and it grabs fat from the bloodstream and sucks it into the cell. If it's sitting on a fat cell, it's going to pull fat from circulation right into the fat cell to be stored. If it's sitting on a muscle cell, it's going to pull fat from the, from the circulation and pull it into the muscle cell to be burned. Got it? Estrogen inhibits the activity of LPL on the fat cells. So when you have plenty of estrogen, the LPL sitting on your fat cells, it's kind of turned down. It's not as free to pull the fat from circulation into the fat cells. And your ovaries produce the majority of estrogen in the female body. Now, after menopause or after having your ovaries removed, if you're healthy, your adrenals kind of pick up some of that slack. Um, and not managing insulin is one way to really impair that process. But I digress. So what this means is that after these rats had their ovaries removed, their circulating estrogen dropped. So that estrogen that had been suppressing LPL's ability to suck the fat from the bloodstream right into the fat cells, well, it wasn't being suppressed anymore, so the, the LPL on the fat cells got busy hoarding the fat. Even when they weren't eating more, it was taking the fat that was circulating in the bloodstream and hoarding it into the fat cells, grabbing it up from circulation and pulling it into the fat cells. The fat cells were sequestering, stealing, hijacking 
all the fuel, right? And so the body wasn't getting the fuel it needs because it was like this detour, this diversion. It was all, instead of going to fuel the body, LPL was stealing it and stuffing it in the fat cells. And so a meal that maybe would have satisfied the rat before all of a sudden doesn't because the body itself isn't getting the fuel it needs, right? Now I know that if you're listening to this and you're postmenopausal or you've had your ovaries removed, you think you're screwed, but you're not. And that's because estrogen is a player, but it's not the biggest player. Let's talk about the biggest player here and the role that it has on our not-so-friendly LPL. And we're also going to talk about another enzyme called HSL. HSL is hormone-sensitive lipase, but we'll just call it HSL. All right. I've talked a ton on this show about insulin because we can't talk about what triggers fat storage and what might be at play when fat storage is happening too quickly. We can't talk about those things without talking about the master hormone, insulin. And because obesity is a disorder of excessive fat storage, we have to take a look at the hormone that regulates storage. And that's storage of sugar, of fat, of protein, and that's insulin. Insulin is an anabolic hormone. It regulates all of our storage needs. When there's more insulin circulating, we're accumulating more fat. When there's less insulin circulating, we're burning more fat. The more carbs we eat, the easier those carbs are to digest, like processed foods, for example. The sweeter the carbs are, the more fat we're going to store because we have elevated insulin more. And therefore, We've diverted sugar into the fat cells. And of course, insulin impacts energy and hunger and cravings and satiety. Let's talk about insulin and blood sugar for a second. I'm sure you've probably heard somebody say that your body simply prefers glucose as fuel, and that's not exactly true. Here's the scoop with that. Your body has to burn the glucose first because maintaining stable blood sugar is critically important because high blood sugar can kill you. You can't just let the blood sugar linger elevated and get busy burning fat even if your body wants to. When we eat the standard American diet or a non-primal diet, when we're eating grains and wheats and pasta and rice, processed foods, putting sugar in our drinks, right? Your body must metabolize the sugar first. The glucose in your bloodstream demands immediate metabolic attention for you to live. The fat does not. The protein does not. It burns the glucose first because it has to, because maintaining stable blood sugar is required for life. So just wanted to kind of get everybody clear on that. Let's switch gears and look at the factors that influence fat being allowed into your fat cells, the process of getting fatter, and fat being allowed to leave your fat cells, the process of getting leaner. Let's look at how that works and what screws it up. This is so good. This is the best part. This is the best part. Okay, so the question is, what determines what fat gets stored, what fat gets burned, and what doesn't? And the answer to the question is, the form of the fat determines what is stored, what gets burned, and what doesn't. We have two options when we are talking about the form of fat as it enters and leaves cells. Those two options are fatty acids and triglycerides. Fat goes into and out of the cells in the form of fatty acids. Once inside the cell, 
for efficiency's sake, the fatty acids are bundled up, they're packaged together. And this package is called a triglyceride. A triglyceride is three individual fatty acids and they are bound to one single molecule of glycerol. Well, it's a bundle, so it's bigger. And once it's in that bigger bundle, it can't get out. It's too big. It's stuck in the cell. It can't pass through the cell membrane in or out in the form of a triglyceride. So to get into the fat cell, it has to be disassembled. To get out of the fat cell, it has to be disassembled or never assembled to begin with. More on that in a second. But let's talk about glycerol, okay? In order for these fatty acids that are coming into the cells to be packaged, there has to be glycerol there, right? If there's no glycerol, then you don't have triglycerides because you can have three fatty acids, but if they don't bind to that glycerol molecule, you don't have a triglyceride. The more glycerol there is present inside the cell, or anywhere really, the more efficient, the faster this bundling process can happen because the materials are there, right? So then we have to look at what puts more glycerol into the fat cells to bundle these fatty acids into the form of triglycerides so that they can't get out freely? And how can we decrease the rate of this bundling? Or what do we do that increases it? Well, glycerol sounds a lot like something else, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like glucose. And that's because glycerol is a byproduct of glucose metabolism. So the more sugar you're consuming, and remember, Glucose or sugar is the building block of all carbohydrates, so I'm not just talking about candy bars and Gatorade, I'm talking about rice, grains, wheat, that kind of stuff. The more sugar you're consuming, the more glycerol there is, the more efficient the process of trapping these bundled fats in your fat cells, okay? The less sugar you're consuming, the less glycerol there is, and the less efficient the process of trapping this bundled fat in your fat cells. One more note on that. This is why many people, when they cut out sugar or they move towards a primal diet, their triglycerides drop because there's not as much glycerol, byproduct of glucose metabolism, around to form triglycerides. Good stuff, right? The other thing we have to look at is what regulates the breakdown of these triglycerides so they can be burned. Remember, in order to to exit the fat cell to be burned, they can't be in the form of triglycerides. They have to be broken down into their free fatty acid form. So that has to be a factor too. How do we increase the rate of unbundling so they can be free to leave and be burned? What are we doing that messes up that process? Well, we're back to our friend LPL again, that enzyme, remember? That's the enzyme that sort of sits on the surface of cells and when it's on the surface of a cell, it's free to suck the fat up into the cell. Well, LPL helps to break down triglycerides in the bloodstream so they can get into the cell. So the more LPL we have, then the more we are taking fat from the bloodstream and putting it into the cells, okay? We talked about how estrogen decreases the activity of LPL and that's why weight gain and appetite and energy are so impacted after menopause or if you've had your ovaries removed, but the even bigger influence of LPL. And this is why I say there's still a lot of hope for people that want to burn fat or stay lean after menopause, insulin. Insulin, driven by increases your blood sugar, activates 
LPL on your fat cells, especially fat cells in your abdominal region. So imagine that it's like this little video game and the presence of insulin tells LPL on the fat cells in your abdominal region to get busy and grab up all of the fat, including the packaged fat. So it's grabbing up all the free fatty acids. They can go right in, but it's also grabbing up all the triglycerides, breaking them apart and sucking them into the fat cells. So the more insulin there is, the more eager those fat cells are, especially in the abdominal region, grabbing up the fat, taking the free, free-formed fatty acids, but also debundling the, uh, the triglycerides and taking that fat into the fat cells. But wait, there's more. Get this. Insulin suppresses the activity of LPL that's on the cells in your muscle tissue. So... The fat isn't readily used to fuel your muscles because when you have high levels of insulin, the LPL on your muscle cells is turned down so those cells are not taking up the fat to be burned. And it gets worse. Even if you're releasing fat from your fat cells, when insulin is high because that suppresses the LPL on your muscle tissue, even if you release fat to be burned, the muscle cells pass up on it, but who's eager beaver ready to take it back? The fat cell down the block. So even when you release fat for the purpose of fat burning, the muscle cells won't touch it because the presence of insulin has turned off their LPL activity, but the fat cells are ready as ever and it's gonna be reabsorbed. It's gonna be reabsorbed into another fat cell. But LPL is not the only player in the game. There's also HSL or hormone-sensitive lipase. If LPL is the enzyme that makes us fat, HSL is the enzyme that makes us lean. And I remember having a major light bulb moment when Jade Tita, one of the founders of Metabolic Effect, said, it's really telling that this, this enzyme that keeps us lean is called hormone-sensitive lipase, not calorie-sensitive lipase. HSL, the one that helps us stay lean and get lean, works inside your fat cells and what it does is it breaks down those triglycerides into their free fatty acid form so they can leave to be burned and that's what we want. We want the fat in our fat cells in that free fatty acid form so that they can leave, right? Part of that is not consuming too much sugar, so there's less glycerol, less raw materials, and part of that is not elevating too much so that once those free fatty acids are released, the muscle cells, the LPL is not suppressed there, so the muscle cells will take it up and burn it. But insulin also impacts HSL, this enzyme that helps keep us lean. Insulin suppresses the activity of HSL so that it's not free to break down those triglycerides, so that they can't escape the, fat, law, the uh, fat cell and be burned. But wait, there's more. Insulin also triggers the creation of new fat cells so that, God forbid, we don't run out of space to store all of this fat. So insulin management is so, so, so important. Guys, when we consume a high carb diet and or when we consume a diet high in processed foods and or when we consume carbs at the wrong time, producing an over-exaggerated insulin response, 
we keep insulin elevated. And anything that makes us secrete more insulin than nature intended or keeps it elevated for longer than it should is going to increase the rate at which fat is shuttled into the fat cells and prevent it from leaving. And here's what happens. This is the whole crux of this. It's creating a situation where the rest of the body is starving. Think about it as a roadblock or a detour. The road to fueling your body Nothing's going down that path because you have all of these eager fat cells stealing all of the fuel and hoarding it. So the fuel delivery to the rest of your body isn't happening as it should. So your body's like, uh, we're not getting what we need. Appetite goes through the roof. Cravings go through the roof. Satiety decreases. So you're not feeling as full as maybe you once did. And then your body compensates by lowering your overall metabolic rate. So you feel like you have less energy. You're certainly not burning fat at the rate you should. And the answer here is controlling insulin. I've done tons of episodes on the specific dietary strategies that allow us to do this. So I'm going to link to those in the show notes. If you want information on the how here, I'm going to recommend the episode I did on carb timing. Also the episode I did on carb tolerance and carb spillover and what I call the golden rules of carbs and fat loss. I'm going to link to all of those over in the show notes for this episode, which is 240 on primalpotential.com. Definitely check out those episodes. This is so critically important for energy, for fat burning, for overall health. So let's wrap up with what I ate yesterday. Started the morning with a little like mixture of coconut butter, which is different from coconut oil. It's like thicker and it's not oily. It's kind of creamier. I mixed up coconut butter and some protein powder. Um, that's what I had in the morning. Then I had a bigger late morning meal before a really hard workout that was a massive plate of cauliflower rice with ground beef and marinara. And then before yoga, I just had a random piece of sizzlefish salmon that was left over. So good. And dinner was spaghetti squash, which I'm totally obsessed with at this time of year, and baked chicken thighs. So that's what I ate yesterday. We will be back soon with another episode. Hope you enjoyed this one as much as I enjoyed putting it together. And I will talk to you soon. Take care, guys. Are you ready? To move beyond listening and learning and really change your life, really live into your highest potential instead of just wishing for it and hoping something clicks, I want to do that with you. And that's why this fall, I'm hosting the first ever Primal Potential Women's Transformation Weekend, Ascend, in downtown Nashville, Tennessee, November 3rd through the 5th. It will be a small group, but you can get your ticket and learn all the details at primalpotential.com forward slash ascend or by listening to episode 203 of the Primal Potential podcast. Here's what I know. Ascend will change your life and I would love to have you join me. See you this fall. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.